If you got your Bibles with you, we're in First Peter, chapter three. But just to recap the series, if you haven't been with us every week, um, we started First Peter. First Peter is written to Christians who are in exile. They're experiencing hostility and persecution. Uh, they're living out their faith in the days of the Roman Empire, and they're under some pretty serious persecution. And so in chapter 1, you know, Peter greets them, the first, and then in verses 3 through 12, there's re- it's really kind of a song of praise unto God. Uh, the last part of chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, all the way over into chapter 2, verse 10, deals with our new identity in Christ. Uh, they, they didn't have to live according to the pattern of their old lives. They were new in Christ Jesus. And then um, 2.11, all the way through chapter 4, verse 11, focuses on suffering as a witness to Jesus. And that's the section that we're in now. Uh, not that marriage constitutes suffering for Jesus. Some of you having some rocky spot in your marriage don't get that idea. We'll actually unpack this together in just a minute. But um, just to wrap out the book, though, 4.12 all the way to the end of the book is putting the focus to Christ's future return and the rewards that await us as faithful followers of Jesus. And we've chosen to call the series in First Peter Exile because that's who he's writing to, and that's who we are as a people. We're in exile. Though we've experienced, I think, a good bit of comfort the last 200 years or so as a, in, in, in the good old USA as American Christians. We've not experienced the norm uh, most of our predecessors in the Christian faith for the last 2,000 years. Um, we, we've talked about some of the postures we have as exiles. The first one is to lean forward. We're looking forward to the return of Christ. Our hope is not rooted here in this life. So, so we lean forward as a posture. We're called to live holy. Uh, the whole section there on living strange, he talks about living stones and priests and babies and trying to make sense of all of that. It really comes down to just be strange. Okay, according to the world standard, you, you, they're gonna think you're weird and that's okay. And then we talked about uh, living under authority, submitting to governing authorities, even the ones that are not so good. And then last week, uh, one thing the exiles do, we can't help it, is that we reflect. We reflect the image of God. We were hardwired for that. So remember um, last week, especially the call to imitate Jesus and his example for us, how he lived in the world. And so this week, we're going to look at what it means to be an exile at home. What does giving, uh, embracing that value system, what does that look like in the home, especially between a husband and a wife? And remember that in Roman life, the wives, um, sometimes plural, in, in one home, the children, the servants, all were expected to worship whoever the patriarch in the home, his gods, his system of belief, whoever his patron god was, Everybody else in the home under his authority was expected to pay homage to that particular God. And so um, Peter is speaking into that reality, this reminder that while uh, the Christians in those households have been liberated by Jesus from worshiping idols and from being in bondage to sin, they are to respond to oppressive domination with submission and with trusting God to deliver them and to see that justice is ultimately done. And so in homes where the patriarch was converted and a follower of Jesus, that marriage now to the wife is to model this new ethic of mutuality and equality and value and reflecting the love of Jesus to others. This is a pretty significant new ethic in, in terms of the Roman culture, which is very licentious, okay? So if this passage we, we read together it seems lopsided to you, 
because the bulk of this deals predominantly with wives and that there's only one little tag here at the end of the, the passage for husbands, don't fret. Okay, go and read Ephesians chapter five and let that balance it out. There's, you'll find a parallel passage that gives nine verses to the guys, only three to the women. And so there's a, scripture's really clear. There's, there's equal weight in terms of role and the importance placed on each role. And I realize that not everybody in the room is married, but we all need to learn to have gentle and tranquil spirits. And if you're single, there's going to be application for you, right? Certainly we all need to know what God says rather than what the world says about marriage so that we're prepared to stand for the truth, right? Uh, in, in a world of relativity, God designed marriage and it's generally best to refer to the manufacturer's instruction manual if we want it to work right. And so that's what we're doing. Recognize, we acknowledge that marriage can be hard at times, it can be difficult. It's, it's a joy, don't get me wrong, but understanding the person that you're married to can be a real challenge, can be a huge challenge. We think differently. We act differently. We feel differently. We process situations differently. We relate differently, and yet God calls us to oneness with our spouse. I think, how is that even possible apart from the Holy Spirit? I, I, I don't know, right? But there's a story I, I read this week that I think illustrates this really well, especially from the guy's perspective. Uh, there was a man who was walking alone on a, on a beach in California. He was deep in prayer. He was a very pious man. And suddenly from the sky above his head, there was a booming voice. And God spoke audibly to this man and said, because you have sought to be faithful to me in all your ways, I've chosen to grant you one request. What is your request? And the man was just totally awestruck. And he said, I've got it, Lord. I've been thinking about this one for a while. I want you to build me a bridge to Hawaii so that I can drive over anytime I want. And God said, that's pretty materialistic of you. I want you just to consider for a moment the enormity of the challenge of that kind of undertaking, the supports required to reach the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. The concrete and steel, the sheer volume of the take is going to exhaust several natural resources. I, I can do that. That's not too difficult for me, but, but it's hard for me to justify your desire for worldly things. I, I want you to take a little more time and I want you to think about something that would honor me and glorify me. So the man thought about it for a while and he said, finally, Lord, I, I wish I could understand my wife. I want to know how she feels inside. I, I want to know what she's thinking. I, I, I want to know when she's giving me the silent treatment, what's going on in her brain and why she cries and what she means when she says nothing's wrong and how I can make a woman truly happy. And the Lord replied, do you want that bridge to have two lanes or four? I have said, I have maintained for a very long time that the man who understands a woman is one. But that doesn't mean that we cannot discover truths about them or learn about them. Guys, you need to understand this reality, right? You're never going to fully understand the women in your life, but you can gain knowledge and information and truth about them that will give you wisdom. Uh, and if you didn't know, gentlemen, especially young guys, there's a point system. Let me just clue you in. Uh, the ladies keep score. Here's just a sampling for your information. If you leave the toilet seat up, minus five. If you replace the toilet paper roll when it's empty, Zero, that's an expectation. You're just supposed to do it. If, if, you, if you check a suspicious noise in the middle of the night, zero, you're just supposed to do that. If you get up to check out the noise and it turns out to be nothing, still zero. If you check it out and it's something and it's dangerous, 
plus five, plus five. Okay, if you take her to a movie, plus two. If you take her to a movie she actually likes, plus five. If you take her to a movie that you hate, plus 10. If you take her to a movie that you like, minus five. If it's called Death Cop 3, minus 25, okay? So if you've, guys, if you've not figured any of this out, come see me afterwards. We'll, I'll run you down the list. Basically, marriage provides a unique opportunity for two people to enter in a relationship uh, with God and with one another and experience a depth of relationship on earth that cannot be matched or equaled in this life, apart from our relationship with Jesus. And the only relationship that's deeper and more profound is the one that we have as the church with Jesus perfectly. Uh, and and, and it's, it's awesome that God has set one of those relationships up, marriage, as an image to show us what the other relationship looks like, the church and Jesus, and to give clarity on that. And so when marriages function according to God's design, uh, they do that. They give clarity to what the relationship between Jesus and the church looks like for a watching world, which is why uh, you've heard me say, I think marriage is the new apologetic in our culture. If we're living, the people in the culture around us are going to go, what is that? Why are you guys faithful to each other? What, what is covenant? What, what, what? I don't understand. And we have an opportunity for the gospel because we're living it. Um, when our marriages fail to reflect the image of God uh, properly because of sin and selfishness, we actually malign his name. And so we, we need to protect our marriage. We need to fight for our marriages. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3 and let's look at the text together this morning. Peter says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respect and pure. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. We tried that at our house, didn't work out. And you are her children, if you do that which is good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So let's go back to verse 1 and 2. Peter says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, all, all of this marriage talk comes in the immediate context of submission to authorities, right? That's what we've been talking about for a couple of weeks now. And so let's recap. Peter has said, submit to governing authorities, authorities even the really crappy ones, even the bad ones. He didn't say, uh, build an underground bunker and stock it with ammo and canned goods so that you're ready for the apocalypse and you can ride out. He, he said, submit to governing authorities. In fact, he, he mentions the emperor, which at this time was Nero, not a great dude, right? And, and, and he gives us the example of Jesus who submitted to God and entrusted himself to the just judge even though the proxy authorities of his day were terrible authorities. They mocked him, they beat him, they scourged him, and they crucified him. 
And the text says, he opened not his mouth, right? And referencing Isaiah 53, he opened not his mouth. Peter wants to make that really practical in this passage dealing with marriage and the dynamics in the home, especially as he's addressing the ladies. So he begins with this idea. By the way, practical and precise, when God gets practical and precise, it's usually painful, if he's going to speak to us, he gets really practical and he gets really right down to the heart of the matter. That usually means pain for us in some capacity. And so uh, here it is in no uncertain terms, ladies. He says that they may be one without a word. Just, just dwell on that for a minute. Quit nagging your husbands, Peter says. In no way does it honor God. In fact, it dishonors him as you dishonor the proxy authority that he's put in place in the person of your husband. But don't take my word for it. Let me give you some Proverbs. Proverbs 21.9. It's better to live in a corner of than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. 25.24. Did I skip one? Yeah. 21.19, which I don't have in my notes. There's another proverb in the same chapter that says the same thing. 25, 24, it's better to live on the corner of a housetop than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. And I read that one at the first one, but it's the same one again, twice in Proverbs verbatim. And then a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. That's Proverbs 27, 15. I, I haven't exhausted Proverbs on quarrelsome wives yet. There's, there's probably half a dozen more verses right? So I hope you're getting the picture um, that you don't hear the voice of God, ladies, uh, and speaking to your husbands about what they're doing wrong. That doesn't mean that you don't have a place to speak or that you don't have a voice in your home. You certainly do, but you don't have to be the Holy Spirit, right? And Peter's really, in fact, uh, that driven need that you have to speak all the time actually works against the one thing that you want most in your heart, which is oneness with your spouse. It is far less about your words, ladies, and more about how you're living your life, especially in relationship to the proxy authority that God has placed over you in the person of your husband. Your respect, Peter says, and your pure conduct carry far more weight than your words do in the home and you're with him. So then he goes to verse three. So don't let your adorning be external the braiding of hair, the putting on a gold jewelry, the clothing that you wear. But let your adorning be a hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So we, we, we have this reality. Uh, I think this was 2010. A survey of over 5,000 women in the U.S. asked, what is it that makes a woman beautiful? Here are the results on the screen. Defining beauty in our culture. said it was self-confidence. 82% said that it was a positive outlook. 79%, you don't see a lot of magazines with the cover being like, positive attitude? That's not what sells, just incidentally. 79% said upbeat personality, and now we get to the truth. The people who are really telling the truth in the culture said, what defines beauty in the culture? 65% said healthy, shiny hair, and 57% said a great figure. That's what sells magazines, folks. That's what sells products on TV. That's the thing that our culture says is beautiful. The other stuff's great. Positive attitude, great outlook on life. Nothing wrong with that. But if you want to know what our culture really thinks, just look at the magazine rack as you're checking out Safeway. Or don't, actually. Guys, don't. I take it back. Don't look. That's what our culture is beautiful. 
But here's what scripture says is beautiful. It's just a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious, right? Don't let your adorning be the braiding of hair, the putting on of jewelry, the putting on of clothes. So stop doing your hair, ladies. Stop wearing jewelry. Stop putting on clothes. Clearly, that's what the text says, right? No? Okay. The passage does not forbid those things. In fact, as a husband with a wife, I recommend, ladies, you, you, you guys are wired visually, and for your husband's sake, and as your pastor, I strongly recommend that you continue to wear clothes. Okay. Modest, modest clothes. If this were a blanket prohibition against those things listed, you'd all have to walk around, right? So, so it's not a for, forbidding of these things. It's that's not what defines you. It's not what defines beauty for you, right? What is this saying? Your identity, ladies, is not in those things. Your security and your acceptance is not to be found in those things. Peter's contrasting two things in this passage. Your external appearance and the character and beauty of your hearts, ladies. As God looks at you and goes, that's the important thing. That's the thing I'm looking at that I go, wow, that impresses my heart that you're, that you're able to be gentle with your husband and respectful towards your husband, even when he's a jerk. Jesus exhibited that for us at the crucifixion. He was, the authorities over him in that moment, the, rules, the governing authorities were, were not good folks, and he submitted himself. And so this is, this is the continuation of this thought, right? Contrary to that, God's word is really clear that the outside of us is not the thing that defines beauty in his sight. It's the inner heart. It's the spirit, ladies. So, so what does it mean then to have a gentle and tranquil spirit? I love what Dr. Wayne Grudem says. He says, gentle and quiet spirit is not insistent on one's own rights. He says, it's not pushy. It's not selfishly assertive. It's not demanding one's own way. That sounds great. Uh, the ladies are going, yeah, that sounds so good. I just don't know how that's going to work out this week. <laughs> the Holy Spirit. Um, that's all we can do is, is cry out to the Holy Spirit with a, with a contrite heart and say, Lord, change me. Lord, change me. Verse five. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, you are her daughters, ladies, if you do that which is good and do not fear that which is frightening. And you go, okay, well, what does that mean? That's a little enigmatic. I don't quite understand. If you, if you do the thing that's frightening, what's the frightening thing? Okay, well, it's, it's kind of hidden in the text here. Um, the, the reference point we're given is Sarah and Abraham and their relationship. So let's talk about that. It's pretty dysfunctional in some ways. Um, but that's the beauty of God's word. You go back and you read Genesis and you look at them and you go, God doesn't use perfect people. He uses imperfect people and he redeems them and he uses weak and broken people so that he receives glory and in the process he makes them whole because he's a good and generous God. But Abraham, on two occasions, he lied to avoid conflict with foreign powers because of Sarah's exceeding beauty. She was really good looking, but in both cases, he led them into extreme danger. He put their lives in danger, right? Boneheaded decisions. Instead of trusting God and walking in integrity as the head of the home, he led them by deception and human cunning rather than God's way. And, and, then, and then many years later, after they had been walking by faith, when, when they did not yet have the promise that God had promised them, Abraham stepped out of the role of authority and leadership and took a back seat and let Sarah lead him into a decision that has impacted history until this very day. 
And he took Hagar, his handmaiden, and he slept with her, and they had a child. And Ishmael went on to become the father of all the Arab nations. This this conflict rages on the planet today. You don't don't know how your sin is going to impact future generations. And and see, he took Hagar, and now he's got Ishmael. And then, hey, great, we've got a kid, right? And Sarah's security about her barrenness just went away suddenly, right? No, it didn't. It got worse. It grew deeper. It became more profound and more pronounced. And then she manipulated the situation to have Hagar and Ishmael expelled from the home, kicked out. It's not a great track record, these two, in their marriage. And yet, God's mentioning them here. He's mentioning them here. And he mentions them, well, I'll just read J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God. He says, Abraham was by nature a man of little moral courage, altogether too anxious about his own personal security, vulnerable to pressure, not a man of strong principle. But the reality is, God changed him. He submitted to the Holy Spirit. He let God breathe life into him. And so here's what Peter's saying to us. Ladies, when you do that, which is frightening, the frightening thing is to trust your husband to lead. Because we know, guys, we know we're turkeys. We make boneheaded decisions. Our track records are not great. And when our wives submit to our authority and our leadership, our headship in the home, they are doing something that is frightening for them. And ladies, you are daughters of Sarah when you do that, which is frightening, and you don't give way to fear. And so the question, the question comes, I'll have a conversation, uh, I'll preach a passage like this, and then ladies will come to me and say, do, um, with a husband who's not leading well, how do I continue to honor him, submit to his leadership when he's not leading well? Uh, this came up a couple of years ago when I was at Smoky Point, and the mops lady said, so 50 moms of preschoolers came to me and said, would you come talk to us? What do we do when our husband won't lead well? You keep saying uh, men are the head of the home, women should submit to the leadership, so what do we do when our husband's not leading well? I said, great. So I stood up before 50 moms and I said, I want you to just think about the position you've put me in, uh, being the only guy in the room trying to help and equip a bunch of moms with preschoolers whose lives are crazy, whose husbands aren't leading them well, and to do all that without throwing every dude under the bus in the process. Not easy. But let me tackle here in 1 Peter 3, since it's part of what God is spelling out related to true beauty. This, this is application for the men. L- ladies, um, I've seen it multiple times that when a man in the home awakens to encouragement and, he, and the spirit begins to work in his life to, to step into the leadership position and really truly lead the home from a place of submittedness to God, um, and he forsakes abdication, uh, as he's doing all those things which uh, the wife has pleaded for and hoped for and longed for and prayed for, that, that initially the wife is pleased but quickly becomes alarmed because he actually starts to lead, right? It's, it's, what, we, it's what I've wanted, it's what I've, and then suddenly it's really terrifying. He's actually leading them, and, and the fear gives way to frustration. So, so first thing I would say is know what it is that you're asking for. Because there's a marked difference between a man who's doing all the right things to accommodate his wife versus a guy who's leading his home in the spirit of God. Those are two very different things. And it's the difference between him actually engaging and leading you in your home as opposed to letting you look like he is. So know what it is you're asking for. 
And then here's three things. I just want to give you three things you can do. Ladies, if you're, if you're going, if you're wrestling with this, you're hearing this word, you're going, I believe that the Bible's God's word. I believe that I'm called to submit. It's hard because my husband is not leading well. Here's the three things you do. Ready? Number one, pray. Pray for him. Pray for his salvation if he's not saved. Pray for the spirit to light a fire in him if he is saved. Pray, pray this, ladies, if you're taking notes, cabs, K-A-B-S. Pray cabs for him. Knowledge, K is knowledge. Pray, what does he need to know that he doesn't already know? The A in cabs is attitude, right? Pray, uh, an embracing of the call to servant leadership that means dying to himself. Pray for his attitude. Knowledge, attitude, behavior. Pray for patterns of behavior that need to change in his life and need to change in your family life. Pray for his behavior. And then S is skill sets. Pray things that maybe he doesn't know how to do. He knows that he needs to do it, but he didn't know how to do it. Pray for his skill sets. Pray for your husband. Pray for cabs, K-A-B-S. Pray with your kids if you have kids. Because they see it. They see the dynamic. It doesn't help anyone, especially them, to pretend like they don't. And while it may feel normal for them, being the only thing they've ever known, they need to know that God intends more for their daddy but in a right and good and gracious way, right? And so make it a regular habit to pray with them and for him, not just praying against the things that he's doing, but praying for things like strength and holiness for daddy with the kids. That's a huge blessing because guess what you're doing? You're building their faith as they see God answer those prayers. They're going, we prayed that and the God who did something for us, you'll never be able to replace that with anything more valuable than faith in your children, right? Pray, Pray for him. And, uh, and then here's number two, serve, pray, serve, demonstrate the love of Christ. This is, this one's really especially important. If your husband is not saved, if he's not a believer, pray and then serve, show him what Jesus is like, show him how Jesus has changed you from the inside out. And again, if there are kids in the mix, you're showing your kids the clear difference that Jesus makes when you're submitted to him and you're following him. They need to see that delineation. They need to see it lived out. Uh, part of the serving aspect, ladies, is don't treat love as a commodity. Guys, don't, don't you do that either. This is what the culture instills in us, is to only give love when we've gotten it from someone. We treat it like a commodity. I'll give it once I've received it. We'll have equal trade. I'm not going to give you more than you've given me. We're going to just meet each other, and it stays this constant equal thing. That's not the reality of what Christ has called us to. Love is a, is a choice that we make to sacrifice for the good of someone else even if our needs are not going to be met by that person because we trust that our needs are completely met in Christ Jesus. We have the power to love, to give sacrificially. Don't let this treating love as a commodity be the reality in your marriage. Love your husband and with the, and the power of the Holy Spirit, serve, right? Pray and serve. Learn, what are the things that communicate respect to my husband? And then do them. Do those things. Women need to feel loved. Men need to feel respected. Right? Find out what are those things. It, it's why, listen, ladies, clue in for just a minute here. Look, look at me. It's why he values his buddies at work. And, and those guys, in, in whatever realms, he tends to get respect and, and feel like he matters and is successful because guys, guys are hardwired for respect. We want to conquer, we want to succeed, and we want respect. And so, so the challenge for you ladies is to learn what things make him feel respected. Bring 
bring those two, make an effort to do them. And, it, and here's the clue. Here's the thing. It took me years to figure this out in my marriage. I, I, there are things that my wife says to me, when you do this, it makes me feel loved. And I go, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I don't understand it. It doesn't matter that I can't relate to it. It doesn't matter. I just need to do it. If, even if I don't understand it, because she has said, she's taken the chance, she's put herself out there and said, when you do this, I feel loved. And, and my response needs to be, okay, I'm gonna choose to do that for her because I, I want her to feel loved and I don't understand it. I don't get it. Why clean dishes in a, in a kitchen counter that nothing on it, wiped down, makes a person feel loved? I don't understand. I'm gonna do the dishes. I feel loved. You don't need to understand it, right? Just do it. Just do it. So pray, serve, Speak. There is a time to speak. There is a time to say something. First Peter 3, uh, you, know, with, you, you can win him without a word, but there is a time to say something. You're not honoring Christ by being a doormat or an enabler. There's a way to say something. There's a way to say something. I, I would say this, ladies, if you're struggling at home with a husband who's not leading well, not leading at all, Set a date on the calendar. You agree that you're going to sit down together. Uh, if you have kids, you're going to babysit or get them out of the mix. And, and, you, and you're just going to stop to talk about your family and your finances and what's happening in your lives and just talk through some of the dynamics together. It's on the calendar. It's planned. And it needs to happen just, just so you guys are getting on the same page. Uh, there's a limit, ladies, to what needs to be said, right? You don't have to say it all at one sitting <laughs> Pick and choose. Choose your battles wisely. And I'm convinced that if you're pursuing contentment in Jesus and gratitude, a heart of gratitude, that you, you, and if you're understanding what guys deal with at the core of our essence and you're praying and you're serving, this one's going to fall into place. If you're praying and serving, God will give you the opportunity to speak and your words will be uh, well-crafted, point appropriate, and your husband won't be able to get away from it. He may not listen to you in the moment, but they, the words will haunt him. Let me just, as a testimonial, let me just speak to you. Your words will haunt him, even if he doesn't want to hear them in the moment, okay? If you have prayed and you are serving with a heart of gratitude, he cannot escape the Holy Spirit of God. He cannot, okay? So choose your battles wisely. Choose your battles wisely, ladies. And then guys, I know ladies, it feels so unfair, verse seven, so much. I have preached to you women all afternoon, and now I'm just going to say a little bit to the guys, and then we'll wrap up, and you go, oh, but I want the guys to, they will, Tuesday night at Fight Club, they get smacked in the face every, every other week. So I, I love the guys in the church. I have a heart for men's ministry and challenging them appropriately. A lot of that happens when you ladies are not in the room, because I can say the things that they need to hear and can, can hear in a way that doesn't offend feminine ears. So they're going to get, they get it. They're going to get it. Okay. Trust me. Uh, Verse seven, likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Gentlemen, did you know that you can hinder your prayer life by the way you're treating your wife? You can impede your relationship with the one true and living God because of your lack of intentionality and care for your wife. It's that important. It says, wives are the weaker vessel here. Uh, in, in, in several other places in scripture, the word helper or helpmate we see in English is parakletos. It's the word that John uses as Jesus is, he's recording the words of Jesus to speak about the Holy Spirit. 
being our helper. Ladies, you're being equated with a member of the Trinity in terms of your role in our lives as men, as, as wives to your husbands. That's an elevated status, not a diminished status. That's a big deal, right? And we talked about this a lot, but just bears saying again, men and women equal in value, different in roles, in distinct roles, right? Value, just, just like within the Trinity, right? Jesus submitted himself to the Father, and the Holy Spirit emanates from Jesus and is submitted to Jesus. And yet they're, they're co-equally God. There's not one that's less God because, it's, because one of the persons of the Trinity is submitted to the other persons of the Trinity. We've got to get in our heads that feminism is a Trinitarian heresy, right? So we, we, this is the reality, equal in value, different in roles and responsibilities before God. And, and this is the beauty. Colossians 1, Paul would, Paul would make this argument in Colossians 1. He says, you know, it's actually the weaker parts of the body, we, and you've got weaker in quotation marks in the passage, the things that we consider weaker that are actually indispensable and ultimately have the greater honor. So ladies, right now in this life, it feels like, man, I'm not, I'm not getting the limelight. I'm not the head of our home. The honor that's bestowed upon you in eternity in the presence of Jesus is far and exceedingly greater than anything that you could imagine. Trust God. Trust his word. Submit to his word. And in the marriage, the man heads the home for God and the woman helps fulfill the divine call. I've preached on this a hundred times. Guys need women. If the world was just men, the world would have imploded in the first generation. It would have been over. Right? We need women. We need you. We need you desperately. So guys, maybe this little anecdote be the, the attitude of your week towards your wives. Middle-aged business exec coming up to the entrance of the office building where his, his work was. At the same time, he's coming to the door, a young feminist coming up at that moment, and he did what he always does in every situation. He stepped back, he held the door open for her to pass through, and, and, and she comes through with arrogance and annoyance and says, don't hold the door for me just because I'm a lady. And to her surprise, he looked right back at her and said, I'm not, I'm holding it for you because I'm a gentleman. Let that be the attitude of your hearts, guys. All right? doesn't have to be reciprocated in every situation. Let your heart be one to serve and to love and protect. So here's our application. Only one person can amly, and in God's economy, it's the man, right? If, if, if the partnership is always struggling because both parties are constantly vying for control, think of it like a dance. That's not a very pretty dance. You got one person leading and the other person following in a dance. The steps are clumsy and disjointed and there's no rhythm if both people are trying to lead at the same time. Um, I don't dance, right? And I've tried. And my wife ends up having to lead because I don't know how to lead her and then it gets worse and then I just want to sit down and have some punch, right? Because I don't dance. And, and so we've had this conversation at some points when the kids are all out of the home, I'm going to take ballroom dancing with my wife. Um, I'm saying yes now by faith. I'm going, to, I'm going to dance with my wife, right? But, but there's a great analogy for us because only one person can lead. Only one person can lead. You'll never establish the beauty and rhythm of the dance in your marriage, if, ladies, if you're constantly vying for your husband's God-ordained role. You're only going to step on his feet, okay? So here's your seven-day challenge. So what's that? You've never done that before. I know. Get used to it. Seven-day challenge is designed to help you take church with you. 
It's not enough for you to be in the room for an hour on Sunday and then be like, I checked off my God box. I'm good for the week. I want you to think about this. I want you to put it into practice. So here's what, and I'm going to ask you this week, if I see you, if I find you, your pastor's stalking you. If I find you, I'm going to be like, how are you doing with the seven-day challenge? Just expect it, okay? Ladies, your seven-day challenge will make this real practical. What's one specific action you will take this week to become more beautiful in the way that God describes beauty? What's one thing you're going to do different? to become more beautiful, to cultivate a gentle and quiet spirit. Guys, what tangible way will you choose to honor your wife this week? What are you going to do? Single guys, what are you going to, what, what one thing, what character quality in you is God working on to prepare you either to be married or just to be, be healthier and part of the body of Christ. Ladies, same thing. What's the character quality God's working on in you, right? What does he want to change in you? What's one specific action you're going to take this week to move in that direction? Set it in your hearts right now as we wrap up our service. Think about when and where and how you're going to do that, especially if you're married. You're thinking about your routine at home, and I know she hates it when I do this, or I know she's, uh, I know he, he would love for this thing to happen. Go ahead and get it in your mind right now, and then make an agreement with the Holy Spirit that you're going to follow through on that that prayer this week, that you're going to carry it through and you're going to see it done. Let me pray for us. God, we uh, come to you in the name of Jesus and we acknowledge that we are weak, frail, and we are, um, we're beings that are, um, well, we, we say things in the moment where our emotions are stirred up and we're like, yeah, that's true. And then, and then 15 minutes from now, we're going to forget about it and we're going to get home and we're going to sit down and kick up our feet and we're going to forget about these things. And uh, we're, we're fickle-hearted creatures. I ask for your Holy Spirit to do a work in us that we wouldn't be able to escape from you this week in all the ways that you want to shape us and mold us and make us into the image of Jesus. That we'd actually be a people who'd be submitted to that process with glad hearts. And, and I say that personally with fear and trembling because I don't even know all the ways you want to challenge and break me and, and free me from sin that I don't even see in my life. And I acknowledge it could be painful. Lord, we want to be more like Jesus. We want to be a people that are used for your kingdom. We want to be a people submitted to you. And so, Lord, would you do that in us? We pray. Give us uh, follow through in the spirit to become the people you're calling us to be as we live lives of exile here. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.